So we've been in this series out of 1 Corinthians talking about what we don't know. What we claim to know, but we really don't know. And what we think we know, we really don't live. And, and talking all these fun facts. And so this morning, I got a couple things for you that I want to share with you that I bet you didn't know this. First of all, I bet you didn't know that there are exactly 1,750 O's in the can of every SpaghettiOs. Now the question is, is I don't know who sits down and wastes their time counting those out, but I give them a lot of credit. Bet you didn't know this, that an ostrich eye is bigger than its brain. Now a little bit extra with that, I just found out that the eye of an ostrich is actually the biggest eye that exists in the bird kingdom. So that gives you an idea of, of how big a brain is in the, in the birds that we see every day. So I bet you didn't know this, that all in those little cupcakes that from Hostess Ho-Ho that we enjoy, or Hostess cakes that we enjoy with our milk, there's seven squiggles on the top of each and every little cupcake. Huh? It's the last thing I'm thinking when that puppy's going down. <laughs> I bet you didn't know this. This is pretty cool. That an astronaut's footprints stay on the moon forever because there is no wind to blow them away. I got all this cool facts from a reliable source called Wikipedia. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> so in knowing these facts, I guess I have a question for you. Like the moon, how many of us in this room today, maybe people that we know, family members, siblings, best friends, <clears throat> maybe just us, we're all carrying some form of imprint, the center of our hearts, full of nastiness, that somebody put there on purpose. How many of us have wounds in the center of our hearts that no matter what we've done, no matter what we've tried, no matter who we've talked to, that that imprint just lays there like the surface of the moon and it's just embedded in us from the nastiness of those people that we've encountered at some point in our lives. I bet you there's a lot of us. I bet you we can relate. But I want to tell you that there's something great this morning is that the presence of Jesus Christ is so more than available to take the wind of his presence across your heart this morning and remove those imprints of nastiness that have been there forever. And that's a good thing. And the beauty of it is, is we are not the only ones that experience this. All the way back in the New Testament church, in the church of Corinth, those followers of Jesus were dealing with nastiness. So much that it got out of hand. That being a New Testament church, they got so ridiculous in the things they were arguing over from everything from property to, to who owned what, basically, in essentials of food and, and in need. It came to the point where the Apostle Paul had to write a letter to the church of Corinth and basically say, hey guys, what are you doing? You're all on the same team. The issue at hand wasn't so much about the nastiness outside the community of faith that was taking place, but the nastiness that was taking place inside the community of faith. So this morning I'm going to talk to us a little bit about <clears throat> how do we deal with nasty people. But I'm going to talk about how do we deal with nasty people inside the community of faith. Not so much outside the community of faith. Because that's the context of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. So Paul authors this letter that's composed of simplicity and loving discipline. And so this morning, <clears throat> I know that Paul didn't ask permission to share this letter with them, but I'm going to ask for your permission to share what I believe God has put on my heart this week to talk to you about dealing with nasty people. And here's the reason why I'm asking your permission. I can preach my guts out today to you, this cute little message that I put together about dealing with nasty people. But if you're not willing to receive it in your heart, 
If you're not willing to listen to the, what the Holy Spirit wants to do and move inside of you this morning, it's not going to go anywhere. And sometimes the hardest thing that we have dealing with as followers of Christ is dealing with one another. And so I'm going to ask for your permission. I'm just going to ask if you'll give me a simple yes. It only takes a few of you, but it'd be great if all of you said yes. But I'd like your permission this morning to preach this message. Can we do that? Some of you are saying, I hope they say no so we can go home early. (laughs) See, the whole thing about being nasty in the body of Christ is that it's very unattractive. And I'm going to get to that in a moment, but here's the deal. This is when Paul wrote this letter to the church of Corinth. He was really upset with them, but he did it in a loving manner. Now, I'm not upset this morning. I'm just still going to preach in a loving manner, but I'm not upset. But Paul, in the context of this letter, was, was a little hot-headed at the time. In fact, basically what he tells us in this passage is, we can't win at the cost of others. We can't win at the cost of others. See, what was happening in the church of Corinth at this time is that they decided to circumvent exactly the teachings of Jesus when he said in Matthew 5.40, He said a very important principle there, and this is what Jesus said in Matthew 5.40. He said, if somebody comes to you and tries to take your tunic and sue you for your tunic, then give him your cloak. How many of you ever heard the phrase, sue the pants off of that person? Ever heard that before? At that time in Christ's life, that was literal. When somebody came to you, Jesus was saying, okay, sure, you know what, you have a tunic, you have this undergarment. But, you know, we think, okay, no problem, so they want my tunic, I'll give them my tunic, and that's okay because I have my cloak to cover myself with. And Jesus takes it a step further with his followers, and he says, no, 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 so you don't understand this. I want you to become transparent. I want you to give up even in the midst where you feel you're wronged, allow me to be your justifier in the moment. And so therefore, you're going to give your tunic away. And even though at the moment you don't feel naked or you don't feel transparent, you have your cloak, but now I'm going to tell you, go a step further and give your cloak away too. And walk away. Followers of Jesus have been mandated to be the attractive solution. We have been mandated to be the attractive solution. Now let me ask you, what is the root word of attract? Attractive. Let me retract that phrase. What's the root root of attractive? Attract. Absolutely. Now that word attract actually means to cause someone to draw near with an appealing quality with an appealing quality. How many of you enjoy hanging around mean people? None of you. Okay. Yeah, none of us do. None of us like to be around people who are mean or people who treat us bad or people that dislike us or talk bad about us. We like to surround ourselves with attractive people, people who have appealing qualities. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to hang around people that we feel, in our opinion, are beautiful or pretty or wonderful or handsome or gorgeous, whatever that is. Simply, we enjoy being around people where their character, their heart, is attractive to us and the way they treat us and the things that they say. So I want you to hold on to that definition of attractive for a moment. Because under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul pens his letter to the Corinthian church about being the attractive solution. I want you to look with me here at a moment in verses 1 and 2. This is what he says. How dare you take each other to court? When you think you've been wronged, does it make any sense to go before a court that knows nothing of God's ways instead of a family of Christians? The day is coming when the world is going to stand before a jury made up of followers of Jesus. If someday you are going to rule on the world's fate, wouldn't it be a good idea to practice on some of these smaller cases? We're pretty fond of quick solutions, right? Would you agree with me? Yeah, absolutely. We don't like to have things prolonged. Pastor Don gave a specific word, you know, from the Lord. I, I, really, I really thought that was an awesome word. 
You know, he was talking about how we need to be patient, we need to wait, and that is not in our vocabulary. (laughs) We like quick, we want it now, give us the solution. We have a problem, give us the directive and how to get that accomplished. For example, you go into a toy store or you go into the mall with your child. Your child starts to act up. What's the quickest solution you resort to? I slap that kid upside the head and tell him who's boss. <laughs> well, no, you don't do that. A lot of times what we do is we grab for a quick solution. We give him a snack. Maybe we buy him a toy just to quiet him down. We go for that quick solution. Sometimes we have that boss who just is not nice to us on any level, doesn't treat us right. No matter what we do, the distance that we go, the hard work and the effort that we put in to the assignments that we're given just isn't recognized. So what is our quick solution to that sometimes? We try to schmooze our way through it. We try to tolerate it and schmooze our way through the conversation. We try to tolerate the relationship all out of a means of creating a quick solution. And so many times we run to other people in the midst of a preconceived or certain circumstance that we feel is a big problem. And we run to others immediately looking for a solution from them. And sometimes we don't get what we want. We don't get the answer we're looking for. We don't get the solution we wanted to walk away with. And these followers of Jesus located in Corinth didn't care how the solution was solved What their problem was is they wanted it done simple and quick. And they didn't care if it was at the cost of other people, at the cost of their emotions, at the cost of their heart, at the cost of other family members. But here's Paul's argument to the followers at that time. He says, guys, here's the deal. Listen to my heart. When you go after one another in anger, when you go after each other and you attack each other, with your malicious words and your gossip and your slander, when you can't come to an agreement on a substantial issue, it's unattractive to those outside the faith. When you stand there in the floor of your shop working at your machine and you gossip about another follower of Christ to another unbeliever, that's unattractive. When you argue over and over in a restaurant with some other follower of Jesus just after you pray for the meal and other followers, other people that don't know you that are not followers of Christ, that is unattractive. That's what Paul's talking about. In my opinion, I think one of the most unattractive things to non-followers of Jesus are bumper stickers. In my personal opinion, I'm going to be very transparent, I hate bumper stickers. Christian bumper stickers. The reason is, is to me, a Christian bumper sticker states that we have all the answers and we have everything that you need, so we're just going to put it up in front of you. That's an arrogant statement. That's my personal opinion. But in the same manner, when we choose to be angry with one another, even if we think it is a substantial issue, and we bring it up in front of other, fo- other people that are not followers of Christ, it's like putting a bumper sticker on the back of our backs. Speaking of arrogance to followers, the people who are not followers of Christ, it's totally unattractive. So Paul argues with them, and he makes this statement and says, here's the deal, guys, that you have God's standards and you have man's standards. And so Paul breaks down God's standards for them. And he references back to Matthew 18.15. In Matthew 18.15, it tells us that when we and an individual or other individuals cannot come to a voluntary agreement on a substantial issue, that we have the ability to appoint godly arbitrators. Paul says, why are you guys going to a court where people don't understand the values and the laws and the standards of God? Why are you taking this outside the community of faith when the community of faith has all that it needs within? Paul tells us and says, guys, here's the deal. There are men and women in the body of Christ that have been set aside, that have been appointed with wisdom and understanding and a prophetic edge that are able to come together to help you find a solution, to find a binding agreement together on your situation that is causing a rift or a division among you. 
But how many times do we really do that? When we have an issue with one another, or we have something that's going on that we're in disagreement of, how many times do we really run into the community of Christ, look for those godly men and women who God has appointed and set aside, and sit down and say to them, and really lay it out before them, being transparent and saying, hey, this is what we're dealing with. Most of the time, what we do is we run to those around us. We run to the quick solution or the quick ear. And before you know it, we realize that that's not attractive to followers of Christ. The problem with man's standards is we focus on our rights. We focus on our revenge. We focus on winning instead of restitution and restoration. And that doesn't speak about being attractive at all. It's not good-looking to followers of Christ. And no matter how nasty the solution, followers of Jesus are called to live from the Spirit. When we solve problems in the community of Christ, we are called to live inwardly first, not outwardly. And what I mean by that is, is a lot of times, immediately, when we get angry or we get worked up over a situation or it stews inside of us like a crockpot cooking over and over and over, what happens is if we don't respond with our spirit, we respond outwardly. And when we respond outwardly, division happens. Anger happens. Bitterness happens. Relationships are destroyed. Families are destroyed. People leave that community of Christ because the issue wasn't resolved. Because generally the first thing we do is we respond outwardly instead of responding inwardly. Instead of learning to live by the Spirit, slowing down a minute, instead of looking for the quick solution at hand, taking time to slow down inwardly, pray through it. Take some time. Listen to what the Spirit of God is speaking to us. Begin to explore the Word of God and see what the Word of God says on that issue. Begin to listen to the Holy Spirit, not from the point of the person that has offended you or angered you or upset you, but look through the eyes of the Holy Spirit from how the Holy Spirit's looking at you. I think sometimes some of our greatest problems can be solved in the most simplest manner by simply asking the Holy Spirit and saying, where am I wrong, first and foremost? Where am I not being attractive in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ? And I think if we slow down and we respond inwardly instead of outwardly, I think sometimes some of the greatest offenses and anger and bitterness that erupts within us will actually simmer down. Further down, Paul tells followers of Jesus to grasp our future position. Grasp our future position. How many of you are aware of Apple? Not like the Apple, but Apple computers and iPhones and all those fun things. Now, before any of you text me while I'm holding my cell phone, I have it on silent. And I'm not going to answer back till after I'm finished. I got a neat little story here about Apple. Apple introduced the iPod Mini. How many of you have heard the iPod Mini, would like an iPod Mini, dream of an iPod Mini, something of that fact? I'm not going to ask if you own one. But here's the thing. Apple introduced the iPod Mini in January of 2004. Now get this. It soon became the best-selling MP3 player in the world. The world. Not the United States. The world. In September of 2005... At the height of the Mini's market dominance, Apple discontinued the Mini and replaced it with the new iPod Nano, which featured all new technology and much smaller form factor. Okay, so now get this. Apple creates this amazing piece of software, this MP3, and it becomes a hit across the whole entire world. And right at its max, Apple just turns around and pulls the plug. And introduces something new. Now, for those of you who are business owners, would you ever make a move like that? When you're at the height of your business, would you ever be like, oh, we're going to pull the plug and just try something totally different? Well, no, that sounds crazy, right? 
But see, here's the thing about Apple. Apple is always looking to the future. They are always planning ahead. They're not living in the now. They're not living in the moment. They are always looking to the future and they're saying, this is what's going on now, but what can we bring that is even better into the future? And so when they created that first one, they already had, they already looked into the future. They already knew what they were going to do. They already pre-planned it. See, I think sometimes as followers of Christ, it's easy for us to focus on the get out of hell free card in our lives. What I mean by that is, is I think sometimes it's easy for us that when we accept Jesus, when we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives and we declare that we are sinful, that we can't do it, we're imperfect, and we need him to be our Lord, and we decide to follow the values of Jesus, I think sometimes it's so easy for us to get caught up and say, all right, I'm safe now. I don't have to worry about enduring hell. All right, I can live in heaven. And then what we do is we go back to what we were doing in the first place. We go back to our habits. We go back to our mindsets and the way we think. And we focus on, oh, good, we got the card now that we can get out of hell for free. Jesus paid the cost. This is a good thing for me. So now I can go ahead and live life. That's so simple for us to do. There are days that I wake up And I go through my day, and about in the middle of the day, the reality hits me, and I say, oh my gosh, I realize that everything I did today, I didn't live for Christ. I just realize, oh my goodness, I just live for myself. I just live for my employer. I just live for this. I had nothing that I did today actually really had an eternal effect. I just totally live for myself. That's how easy it is for us. We get up in the morning, We drink our coffee, we go off to work, or we stay at home with the kids, and all of a sudden, before you know it, the day is gone, we put our head back down on the pillow, and did we ever once think about, what are we here for and what are we doing? What I mean by this is, is that yes, we were created for heaven, we were not created for hell, but we were not created to take up space in a pew, and we were not created to take up space in heaven. We have a future position with Christ. We have future responsibilities that God is calling us to live out in. Look here at verse 3 through 7 with me. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to, to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Go ahead and underline that on your outline. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Paul makes some pretty strong statement right there. That whole line there that I love, he's like, basically, you have already been completely defeated in what you just did. And so he reminds us and says, you have a position with Christ. You have to be thinking about the future at all costs 24-7. So that when you are angered with another follower of Christ within the community— Your next step, your next action that you decide to take is going to affect your future. You are representing something bigger than yourself. You're representing something bigger than your current circumstance, bigger than your current problem of anger, bigger than your issue of bitterness right now. And he says that when you go to other people, you've already been defeated. What you think you have gone to accomplish in the words that you are about to speak about the individual you are angry with, you have already been defeated. How many of you would ever want to go into a battle knowing that you were going to be defeated? You already knew the end result. It was fact. How many of you want to go to battle? Exactly. No one. So how many of us want to go and engage in a conversation? How many of us want to go and look for a solution to our problem 
already knowing that we are defeated. We don't. We want to win. We want to come out on the top. But it's interesting how the kingdom of heaven operates because the kingdom of heaven operates backwards compared to our kingdom here on earth that we have built. If we desire to be on the top, Christ says, you'll be on the bottom. If we humble ourselves and we lay ourselves out at the bottom, we'll end up on the top. Makes absolutely no sense. But according to God, it does. The important thing is, is in essence, we should be ashamed of ourselves because of our ungodly conduct in front of unbelievers. That speaks of us not being responsible of our future position. When we sit around with our families that don't know Jesus, and we bark and we complain about another follower of Christ in the community of Jesus, and yet we have not gone to them to seek out restitution, that speaks that we are irresponsible with what God has given us. When Satan can use our flesh instead of our spirit, he's achieved a temporary purpose, which speaks that we're being irresponsible. And our anger creates exposure to the enemy. See, there's more going on just when you're angry. There's more going on when you're just bitter at another follower of Christ. There's something that's spiritual that is happening. There's an exposure that's taking place. Our anger, our bitterness towards others can be like a pathway that leads back to the source, making us vulnerable for attack. How many of you ever heard the story of Hansel and Gretel? See, it's like Hansel and Gretel. We think that we're doing something right. And I know for Hansel and Gretel, they were trying to get back to where they were and they left their breadcrumbs or their treats or whatever it was. But when we're angry and when we're bitter with other followers of Christ, it's like taking bread and leaving a trail. But it's not for somebody to find us in a good way. It's deposits of anger that we leave behind like breadcrumbs that the enemy picks up on and follows us. You know where the enemy follows us back to? Not just our homes. Not just our workplaces. The enemy follows us back to where we gather. Follows us back to home base. So imagine. You're angry. You're upset. You're fuming. You want justice. You want correction on your own terms. Here. Because you were wrong. So you come here, gather on a Sunday morning, praise Jesus with your hands in the air, give a little clap, give a little shout, give a little offering. You're fuming inside, you're still bitter, still upset, and you're waiting for them to come to you. When they're ready, they'll come to me because they know what they did wrong. Look at the dynamics of this for a moment. It's not just you. So don't give in to the lie that the enemy wants you to believe that, well, I'm the only one that's angry. I'm the only one that's bitter, so really it's not going to affect a body this big. Because the one that you're upset with is dealing with it as well on the other side. So now that makes two. Now not only do you have those two people in the body, but let's think about the other five people that are dealing with offense and anger and are irritated. And you add the other partner involved with that. That gives us 10. And that's not counting all the other people that are connected in all other situations that are not even having to do with the other partners. Do you get it? That's what happens. That's why Jesus talked about when you have something against another brother, before you worship, before you sing, before you come to give an offering, before you come to do anything, resolve that issue among each other. But we have no business solving it out among others that do not know Christ. I want us to read this together. It should be on your outline. I want you to read this with me together out loud. Spiritual responsibility says, through my love, joy, and peace 
I will choose to push aside negativity, unbelief, and selfishness so that I can pray, prophesy, and spiritually bless everyone with whom I come in contact with. That is being responsible with our future position. If we are dealing with issues within the community of faith and we can stop and we can look at it and we can say, can I pray for this person? Can I pray for that person in leadership? Can I prophesy over them if God called me to do that? Can I spiritually bless them? And if we can't do that, we have something wrong. And so God is calling us to be responsible with that. Our malicious attitudes destroy biblical unity. Even our attitude, when we feel that no one else can see our attitude behind what's going on, it is destroying the biblical unity that God has mandated for the body of Christ. Because we were created to destroy works of evil and not each other. Created to destroy works of evil. But when we choose to be angry with each other and to get upset with each other over things that eventually we're probably going to laugh over, we've wasted our energy. We've wasted time. We've wasted effort. When we could be extending all that energy and effort to destroy works of evil and serving others, part of our future position is to be unified as one, not separated to be unified as one so we can release exponential anointing and power. To release this power that God has given us that we're going to talk about next week, about the power of the Holy Spirit. But to release this exponential power and anointing, this anointing. See, we all have giftings. And God gives us authority to move in those giftings. And we can move in them individually But when we come together and we begin to move in them and we begin to use them and focus our efforts and our time into those who need Jesus, who desire Jesus, who need to hear what God has to offer them, then there is an exponential that takes place that is far greater than what we can do on our own. But when our attitudes are malicious and anger and bitter and we're holding things back from one another, then that breaks down that unity, that exponential power and that anointing. I'm going to be transparent with you. There are times that some of you tick me off. (laughs) I'd be lying my guts out if I didn't say, oh, you're all so wonderful. Love every one of you. There are days that, now some of you are rattling through your brains right now. Well, did I send them an email? Did I send them a phone call? Look, I'm a pastor and I get ticked. I get upset, but I'm being real. But what God has taught me is to first seek inwardly, to be reminded of my future position. Because if I respond outwardly, (laughs) if I respond outwardly in the midst of the situation where you upset me or you ticked me off or you really got me hot in my head, that would affect the future position that Christ has for us. The way we respond affects our future. It just doesn't affect your future. It, respects, it affects our future. And in order to do this, we must live an unsoiled life. We must live an unsoiled life. I want to give you a little visual of this. Imagine if somebody invites you over to their house for dinner. And they have really been talking it up. How many did you go out to dinner last night to somebody's house? Go ahead, raise your hand. It's cool. If you went to their house, are they here today? No, don't raise your hand. So you go to their house, and man, they are just talking up the meal. You ever been there? You ever done that? You ever gone to somebody's house, and they're like, oh, you are going to love what we have tonight. 
Oh, it's been in the oven all day. It has just been simmering. It's been roasting. It's all herbs and spices, you know, or, or they'll say, oh man, you know, I put it on the grill. Oh, it's so good. And it's just been on the grill all day at a low temp. And it's just been just smoldering in there. Just nice. Or, you know, or like somebody says, oh, we're going to cook some fresh pasta. We're so glad you're here. Wait till you taste this pasta because once it comes out of the water, oh, a little bit of that sauce over that and some meatballs on it. I made grandma's meatballs. You know that grandma's meatballs. Yeah, you know. You ever done that? You ever go to somebody's house and they're just like talking it up? And so you're waiting. You're waiting for the event. You're waiting for the moment. You have fasted all week for this meal. You even wore your special pants. You know what I'm talking about, the kind with the elastic waistband in the front? Jeans in the back, but elastic in the front? It's okay, you can heed to the conviction. So you sit down at the table, and you can just feel the drool trying to break out from the corner of your mouth. You have the napkin on standby. Your lips are getting a little dry, so you wet it with water. And you are focused. And they're just talking up this meal, and you're just saying, just pray for the meal so we can engage this thing. So you got your plate ready, and they say, hand me your plate, and you hand it to them, and you see the tongs in their hand, and you can hear the clanging of it in your ears, and you wait for the unveiling, and the lid lifts off. Oh, and you are so excited. And they just come and they plop it on there. And it makes its way over to you and it gets right down in front of you. And there's a smell about it that you're not liking. There's a look that is not too attractive at the moment. That is not what they were talking about. This is a diaper. I'm sure some of you are going to skip lunch today. (laughs) See, Paul tells us that we have to live the unsoiled life. That word unsoiled means to, that word soil actually means to be corrupted. Be corrupted in character or be corrupted morally. And Paul uses it in this context of basically saying, here's the deal. When you think that you are getting justice, or when you think you're solving the problem in your own way, in a right way, when you're really talking up what you're going to serve, what you're going to do, when you're really excited about how you're going to handle the situation that is not according to the Word of God, and you're talking it up, and when you present your case, It's like serving a diaper on a plate. It stinks. No one is going to want to eat it. It's not meant to be enjoyed. It's not meant to be served. But how many times as followers of Jesus that we want our way, we want our justice, and we go to our friends And we have our little conversations. And we talk up what we're going to do. Because it seems so godly. And the reality is, is when we present that case, it's like a soiled diaper. When dealing with nasty followers of Jesus, Paul tells us that we should be willing to suffer wrong rather than damage and cheat others. He tells us that we should be willing to suffer wrong. And that's hard for us to get. There are some things in my life that have taken place over the years that in my eyes, I never received justice for. There are situations in my life where I have walked the line straight. 
I have dotted every I, I have crossed every T. I have served my guts out in situations. And then the other person gets off scot-free with no problem, overlooked, whatever it may be. But when the problem came, I was the one that was in trouble. I had to learn that there are those moments where I have to step aside and have a willingness to be wronged and realize that God is my justice and my justifier. There are some things that in the body of Christ we need to choose and say, is this really worth fighting for? Or is it going to affect the future of the position of the body of Christ? When we look at it, will we respond with a soiled life or an unsoiled life? Look at what Paul tells us in verse 8 through 11. Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Underline that phrase. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkard, nor drunkards, underline this, nor slanderers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you, what does he say? Were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Slanderers nor swindlers. Now, Paul uses some pretty big, heavy wording up there prior to that, but we're not on those subjects today. We're talking about swindling and slandering and gossiping and hurting one another within the body of Christ. Right after Paul makes that statement, he says, You were. It's past tense. Because if Paul believed that they are, then he would have used the word and said, you are. But he looked at the body of Christ in in Corinth and he says, no, you were. And the same thing is for us. Jesus looks at us and he says, you were. Jesus doesn't look at God and say, oh God, by the way, um, when we talk about Erie first next time, we need to make sure we change our language and say they are. Because according to the cross of Christ, when Jesus Christ died and was crucified, when he rose from the grave, when he defeated death, when he defeated sin, because of the blood, that gave us the were. And it took away the are. So if we are living in the were and we're not living in the are, That means we are totally capable, without excuse, to be able to handle the issues in the body of Christ and overcome offense and anger and bitterness and the unsettling within the pit of our gut. Paul uses a strong word in here. And the actual original wording is the word unrighteous. Because Paul makes a comparison, but then he kind of slaps him upside the head with it at the same time. That word unrighteous in there is basically Paul saying this, that followers of Jesus that live in an unrighteous manner is to blatantly practice acts of wickedness. So Paul was saying that when you choose to slander another follower of Christ in the community, whether before an unbeliever or behind the, um, behind the believer's back, you are practicing acts of wickedness. And you are no different than those who do not know Christ. You are no different than those ways that you acted prior to knowing Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about. So when we choose to deal in unrighteous ways with one another, 
were no different than those outside of the faith. And according to the cross, we have no reason for that. Because the cross tells us that we have available to us the greatest supernatural power that overrides every and any other existing spiritual power that could be in existence. That greatest supernatural power is God, Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of man, the man Christ, Jesus. So would you stand? So let me be transparent with you just for a quick moment. Does this mean that I don't get angry? Does this mean that I don't get ticked off? Does this mean that I don't get discouraged? Because I do. There are days I don't want to be a pastor. There are days that I want to throw in the towel sometimes. Days that I want to walk away from the ministry. Because there's days where there is this facade, this idea that pastors are superhumans, got all the answers. They live out what they preach with perfection, that they're incapable of only, they're incapable of not being angry or mad or upset, and they're only capable of loving and being compassionate 24-7, and they never get headaches, and they never get irritated. They never have problems with other people in the community of Christ. It's a lie. In James, James said that Elijah or Elisha, one or the other, was a man just like us. It means he puts his pants on just like you and I do. I'm a man just like you and everyone else. There are days that I stew in anger over things in my life. There are days where God reminds me and says, hey, we haven't worked on that issue of bitterness in your life. Maybe it's time. That's why there's days that I don't like being a pastor. Because some days you fight 
living up to the lies or what people build up to be. I struggle with anger just like you. I struggle with being mad at others in the community of faith like you. But the one thing that I know for sure is this, is that Christ was rejected so we could be accepted by him so that we could accept others. He was condemned so we could be forgiven, but not so we could be forgiven just that, but so that we could forgive others. He was punished so we could be pardoned, so we could extend pardon to others. He was hated so that we could be loved, so that we could know how to love others. He was crucified so that we could be justified, so that we could allow him to be our justifier. And he died so we can all live, so we can be blameless, never point fingers, resolve issues, and willingly give life to one another, even when we don't feel like it. That's what I know about nasty people. Father God, I thank you so much for the word of God. Lord, I thank you that in your greatness, in all that you possessed, you yearned to create and commune with man. Father, you knew our genetic makeup before we were even a thought. And you knew, God, how we would react. You knew how we would treat one another. And so you gave us direction in your word. Father, you know that we're imperfect people because you sent your son so that we could be perfect. So that we could live accordingly to what you tell us to live. I ask, God, that this word would set deep in our hearts. Father, where there is unresolved areas in our lives with other followers of Christ, I ask, God, that you would show us individually and that we would take responsibility with those. That in your strength, we would mend them. And Father, I pray that we would lay aside our preconceived ideas. We would lay aside, Lord, all of our justifiable thoughts that we want to blurt out when we see them. But that we will step back in the spirit, listen to what you're saying, and speak that. We ask, God, that you unify us as one. And that, Father, in the name of Jesus, nasty people in our minds and our hearts won't exist, but only people that God loves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.